On this week's Nesson Patriots podcast, we will give our biggest surprise and overreaction of the week from the Buccaneers Super Bowl 55 win. Plus, we'll throw out some names for some possible wide receivers for the Patriots in free agency. Welcome to this week's Nesson Patriots podcast. I'm Doug Kide, joined as always by Zach Cox. Zach, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Doug. Yesterday, uh, I was trying to think back to where I was in the days after Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl. <laughs> and I remembered that I was a sixth grader in Mr. Vecchio's class, Rentham Elementary, 11 <laughs> years old. And that was what, 19 years ago? And to think that we're now going to spend the next half hour or so talking about yet another Tom Brady Super Bowl, it, it kind of blew my mind. It, I'm not going to lie. It's it's pretty incredible that this is still happening. Yeah, I think, I'm not sure if I was a freshman or sophomore in high school. I know I was in middle school when Belichick got hired. So yeah, it must have just been you know, one or two years later than that. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, the Buccaneers won Super Bowl 55. 31-9 against the Kansas City Chiefs. That is the majority of what we will be talking about uh, on this this program today. And I, I don't know. It was. Um, I guess we'll get just right into our segments here and start off with surprise of the week. What was your biggest surprise from the Super Bowl this year? My biggest surprise was not that the Buccaneers' defense successfully contained Patrick Mahomes and and that Chiefs' offense at the start of the game because. We've seen teams, even with as explosive as this this Chiefs team is and has been for the last couple of years, we've seen teams shut them down for a quarter or a half. I mean, we've seen Tom Brady-led Patriots teams do that twice. I mean, you think back to 2018, yep. uh, the first time the Patriots played the Chiefs, Patriots held the Chiefs to nine points in the first half. Then the Chiefs scored 31 points in the second half and ended up losing 43-40. to 40. Second time around in the AFC Championship game, actually shut out the Chiefs in the first half. Then Chiefs scored 31 points in the second half and ended up taking the game to overtime. So I think even as we're as we're watching this game Sunday night, even as it gets up to to 21 to six and 28 to six, you're saying, all right, well, there's going to be that that sort of explosion eventually. Maybe they're not going to come all the way back, but the Chiefs are going to make this game close at some point just because you can't keep Patrick Mahomes and this offense tied down for so long. And that never happened. I mean, this was a, a masterful game plan by Todd Bowles, uh, the Bucks defensive coordinator. Bucks got some really fantastic defensive contributions from all three levels of their defense. I mean, they're all of their pass rushers, essentially all of their defensive linemen played extremely well in this game. Devin White looked like an absolute superstar. Levante David played really well. They got some key plays out of some of the guys in their secondary. And obviously a lot of the, a, a large reason for this was because that ch- Chiefs offensive line was just absolutely decimated and really could not handle what the uh, what the Bucks were were sending at them. But I was surprised that it, 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 we just haven't seen this before. We haven't seen a Patrick Mahomes led team get absolutely shut down for the entirety of a game. And the fact that Todd Bowles and the Bucks were able to do it in the Super Bowl was pretty remarkable. Yeah, I <laughs> even like in the middle of the third quarter, I think. Yeah, Mahomes threw an interception with like six minutes left in the third quarter, something like that. That's when you started seeing everyone say like, all right, it's over. Or maybe it was 
the the last Buccaneers touchdown that okay it's over and I was like these people are morons have they never watched Patrick Mahomes before like like he could rip off three touchdowns in like a in a minute like yep. it honestly until the game was over I was still like I don't know like this one could get close like I I, I that would definitely was a surprise that the Chiefs just never got that comeback they never mounted that comeback they were never able to recover and as you mentioned i do think that it was like 90 percent their offensive line the chiefs were, the, were without four expected starters on their offensive line if you include the opt-out from before the season so they lost two during the season one before the season and then also eric fisher to the torn achilles uh right in the afc championship game and I said this on Twitter after the game, and actually, um, I do think that the Buccaneers were somewhat fortunate to play back-to-back teams without their starting left tackles. And I really am not saying that to take anything away from the Buccaneers. I think that they deserved to win the Super Bowl. They probably would have won the Super Bowl regardless by the way that the score went and everything. But to take away the quarterback's blindside protector in two consecutive weeks, it, they were fortunate. I mean, they, it's, I'm not saying they were lucky and I'm not saying that they were the first team to be fortunate in a playoff game. Uh, you know, you cited it, a few other people cited it, the 2015 Broncos, extremely fortunate that the Patriots team had a slew of injuries down the stretch, lost Nate Solder, um, and they were the same way. And there's a, a team every year. And I think that ultimately a lot of what the NFL comes down to a lot of the time is who stays the healthiest. That's certainly been the case for the Patriots over the years. I mean, that 2015 Patriots team was just as good as 2014, 2016, 2018. They just didn't stay healthy. You could say the same exact thing about the 2017 Patriots team that lost Julian Edelman and Dante Hightower and Jonathan Jones. They were just as good as all of those other teams, but they got injured at the wrong time or in Julian Edelman's case before the season, and they just weren't able to recover. And that's sometimes the difference. And one of the differences in this game was certainly the fact that the Chiefs did not have all of those offensive linemen. They definitely could have prepared better for it. They could have had better depth. But when you get down four starting offensive linemen, there's really not much you can do at that point to protect the quarterback. Yeah, it's it's pretty difficult, obviously, especially with how talented of a, a pass rush and a defensive front they do have down there in in Tampa Bay with with Shaq Barrett, who was fantastic in this game. Jason Pierre-Paul and Dominican Sue was in the backfield a lot. Vita Vea was rushing off the edge at times, which was fun to see for a uh, for a nose tackle. For there there nose are tackle, definitely yeah. some yeah there there are definitely some uh, nits you can pick, I guess, with that offensive game plan. Just in the fact that the Chiefs didn't really give those five guys much help. Uh, I think I saw a stat that they only blocked with the normal five offensive linemen on something like 90% of the snaps in the game. And I know that's, that's the chief's game. They want to have as many receivers out there yeah. uh, and as many of kind of available pass catchers that can make plays downfield. But when you've got basically like bottom of the depth chart type players on your offensive line, and you see them for an entire half continually getting beat, I think you got to reverse course at some point and, and keep a tight end in there or keep a running back in there to block. And just what was, what they were trying initially clearly wasn't working. And the fact that they never really deviated it from de- deviated from it too much uh, is definitely, I think a, a valid criticism for uh, for that game plan. Before I get into my surprise of the week, I do think that it's not something fun to talk about. I don't want to get into it too much, 
but the Britt Reed situation where he, you know, seemingly, or he caused a car accident uh, that severely injured two children. He told, reportedly told police afterwards that he had been drinking. Uh, he had bloodshot eyes. They ordered a, a blood sobriety test for him. I think he's still in the hospital as well. I mean, certainly I don't want to, I don't want to make it seem like I, I'm making an excuse for the Chiefs because I'm not, because that was their own, they caused the the mistake. Yeah. That was their own coach. That was their own decision. I, I can't imagine that that didn't, you know, hang over the Chiefs head a little bit during that game, especially Andy Reid. I just don't know if he could have completely shut that out of his mind during the Super Bowl. Yeah, and the fact that Andy Reid is the Chiefs offensive play caller right. and Britt Reid is his son. Yeah, I mean, it's that the fact that that happened so shortly before the Super Bowl Two, was that three fr- days? Friday, Friday night, Thursday night. Yeah, yeah that's it's certainly something that had to have been on his mind. And I think Andy Reid has even admitted that, yeah, it's not something that you can just put out of your mind for three hours and, and go coach a game. Yeah. So, well, you never really know how much of an impact that that did have, but it, it certainly prevented uh, Andy Reid from, from just focusing on football. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, to, to say that that would not be a distraction would be a disservice, I think, to the entire situation uh getting into my surprise of the week it's just that rob gronkowski was the best skill position player on the field in a Play game that included mike evans and chris godwin on his own team antonio brown on his own team and then travis kelsey and tyreek hill on the other squad and rob gronkowski is rob gronkowski he's still one of the best tight ends overall tight ends in the nfl when you you know put his blocking and his receiving everything together but the guy had two catches in the postseason heading into this game he was held catchless against the washington football team he had one catch on five targets for 14 yards against the saints in the divisional round one catch for 29 yards in the nfc championship game and then six catches on seven targets 67 yards and two touchdowns in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs. Not what I was expecting. I thought that Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey were going to go off. Kelsey wound up having a pretty productive game. I think he had 10 catches for 133 yards. But A lot of garbage time, yeah. And when you throw in the two touchdowns from Rob Gronkowski, I mean, he was. He was the guy. He was the best skill position player in this game. And it was a return to form for him. And he said after the game that, you know, he's ready to stay unretired at this point, that he's ready to hit free agency for the first time in his NFL career, which is absolutely incredible since he was drafted in 2010, then signed a six-year contract extension that carried him through the season, through retirement, through the season, and now he'll finally be a free agent. My expectation is that he will be back with the Buccaneers next season simply because he'll want to stay with Tom Brady, but who knows? He might enjoy free agency. He might try to get top dollar and, you know, try to make money for himself and his family and do all that stuff. But no, I mean, I don't think he's done. I think that he did retire because he was really beat up after that 2018 season, but we've said it before tight ends can play forever. I mean, Tony Gonzalez played forever. Um, Antonio Gates played forever. Jason Witten played forever. So if Gronk is okay, being that guy who catches five to 600 yards per season is a really good blocker and can be a red zone threat that I mean, he could do it for five more years at this point. He's only like 31, 32 years old. So, I mean, yeah, he's, he's kind of still 
as far as tight ends go, he's not the, he's not in prime Gronk, but he's still in that prime of a tight end's career. Yeah, a stat that surprised me last week is that Gronk is only six months older than Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Uh, he has been in the NFL for I believe three more years or two more years, so he has a little bit more. 2013, yeah. Yeah, a little bit more wear on him, and obviously dealt with all of those injuries during his Patriots uh, tenure that that kind of beat the body up a little bit. But yeah, this is not. Uh, I, I feel like in a lot of people's minds. Rob Gronkowski is like 37 years old and is <laughs> right. sort of limping to the finish line right now. And he's certainly not in his prime anymore. As you mentioned, he basically, he has said on several occasions, Bruce Arians has said on several occasions that he was basically a, a blocker first this season. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that game against, uh, against Washington in the, in the wild card round, he only ran 16 pass routes on 43 sna- uh, on his 43 snaps in that game. Didn't catch a pass really was, it was a very different Gronk than, than what we've seen from him earlier in his career when he was that kind of the best offensive weapon in the entire NFL. But he proved in games like this that he still has that in him. And it's Rob Gronkowski also just, he just shows up in the Super Bowl on basically every Super Bowl he's played in. He's been a major factor. Yeah. I mean, if you take out that first Super Bowl uh, that he played against the Giants when he was basically pl- basically playing on one foot that entire game, you just look at his stats in the Super Bowl. I mean, against the Seahawks, six catches, 68 yards, one touchdown. Against the Eagles, nine catches, 115 yards, two touchdowns. Against the Rams, six catches, 87 yards. That's a game where he had a, a MVP case in that game, uh, given how huge those final two catches that he had in that one were that set up Sony Michelle's touchdown. And then the stat line you mentioned the other night, six catches, 67 yards, two touchdowns. It's Gronk shows up when the lights are on apparently. And, and it doesn't seem like he has any intention of, uh, of going back into retirement at this point. Also just interesting his demeanor after this season in that post-game press conference, when we were talking to him was very different from what he was like after his final Patriots Super Bowl, sure. where yeah. he basically said he was like, yeah, I was happy to win the Super Bowl. Obviously, <laughs> I believe at the time he called that season the the most rewarding season of his career. But his body was just a mess at that point. He had taken the hit in the leg from I believe it was Corey Littleton in that game that ended up having to uh, get fluid drained out of it. He was just he was beaten down. He was hurt. He didn't want to go through the grind of another Patriots season uh, because when he was in New England, he was expected whenever he was healthy to practice every day and to really kind of follow that same grind that every other Patriots player did. And Bruce Arians, interestingly, kind of laid out the the blueprint he had for him and Brady in an interview with uh, Sam Farmer from the LA Times on Monday. He said, yeah, look, those guys, I know they're going to be good on, on Sunday. I, I want them to be at their sort of peak physical readiness on game day. I don't care if they practice Wednesday. I don't care if they practice Thursday. He was more than willing to, to dial back the workloads for, for both Brady and Rob Gronkowski. And I mean, Rob Gronkowski played in all 16 games this year for the first time since I think 2011 or 2012 uh, didn't have any serious injuries and seems as we just talked about very fresh and very ready to go after a, a very long season. So uh, it's just sort of a goes to show how, how different, methodologies can work in the NFL. I I know a lot of Patriots fans kind of look at it as, oh, well, if it's not the no days off kind of Patriot way, then it's sort of secondary and not quite as good. I mean, 
this this team with this strategy just won the just won the Super Bowl. So it just kind of shows that there are two different ways to go about it. Yeah, Gronk said after the game that after Super Bowl Fifty Three, he was happy they won the championship, but he was also just happy his career was over. Basically, yep. it took him until March Twenty Fourth to announce his retirement, which didn't really help the Patriots that much because that was a week after free agency began. Uh, but it does sound like he knew right after that Super Bowl that he was going to retire. Uh, what's your overreaction of the week, Zach? My overreaction is that this might have been Tom Brady's most impressive championship, most impressive championship run. And I was going over this in my mind. I don't know if it's the most impressive championship run that he has been a part of, because I still think you can look at that first Patriots Super Bowl uh, and with what they did, how they got to that Super Bowl, the the Rams team that they beat in that game. I think you can view that as maybe more impressive of a as a team uh, kind of performance. But in this season, you just look at what Tom Brady was able to accomplish, especially late in the year, really after that, um, after that week 12 loss to the chiefs, after that little mid season swoon guys, 43 years old came to a new team that yes, was very talented, but a franchise that had really never won anything outside of that one Super Bowl run in 2002 did not have a, a full off season, did not have a, a, full preseason or any preseason uh, had to deal with the COVID situation and the COVID restrictions all season went on the road and won th- three road playoff games, including wins over Drew Brees, albeit a diminished Drew Brees and uh, Aaron Rodgers. then goes out and beats Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. I don't know. And this it certainly wasn't a case where Tom Brady carried the bucks to anything this year. If anything, the, the bucks defense really sort of, propped him up at times during this this playoff run but just the fact that he was able to do this on a new team at age 43 I don't know I have a hard time putting any of the any of his kind of individual accomplishments above this I don't know it's it's not a I'm obviously talking out of both sides of my mouth right now because I do think (laughs) there are Patriots runs that are in that conversation for sure. Definitely 2016 probably as well, but I I don't know, Doug, how's, what's your, what's your thoughts on this whole? I think it's fair to say it's the most impressive run. It's definitely not the most impressive game. That would be 2014 or 2016. I think that 2018 was kind of an impressive run for the Patriots or, or for Brady, especially given how they declined in 2019 how they declined again in 2020. I think that that season was kind of the start of some of that decline. They went 11 and five. They went two and two over their last four games. They went three and three over their last six games. They lost games to the Jaguars and the Lions uh, to to start the season, start the season one and three. Definitely not Brady's best set of weapons. Gronk was worn down that season, as we were just mentioning. Uh, Edelman was suspended for four games. Uh, Josh Gordon was good until he got suspended basically right before the postseason. Um, yep. And then beyond that, you know, James White Miami had a miracle. season, Chris Hogan. Mm-hmm. What was that? It's a Miami miracle. Yeah, the Miami, like it just, yeah, they, it, that was a really tough season where I don't think people expected them to win the Super Bowl. They still did. The run wasn't as difficult, though. He didn't have to go through Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. He didn't have to go through Patrick Mahomes and a very good Chiefs team. And then he did have to beat Sean McVay in the Super Bowl, which was no small feat. Uh, But I would probably put 
this year's Bucks team above that just because of the fact that he came in with no offseason, new team. They won 11 and five also. They had struggles. So yeah, I'd put, I'd put this season over that 2018 team. Uh, my surprise of the week is, or my overreaction of the week, I should say, I think that the, the post-Super Bowl Patrick Mahomes love fest has gone a little bit too far. And I think what happened here was that people like the hot take artists said right after the Super Bowl that, ah, yeah, like Patrick Mahomes can't show up in the Super Bowl. Bad game for Patrick Mahomes. Ah, this is really tarnishing Patrick Mahomes legacy, all of that stuff. And then the smart people were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Patrick Mahomes was actually like not that bad in this game. But then they took it like a few steps too far where then it was Patrick Mahomes was incredible in this game. And Patrick Mahomes was better than Tom Brady in this game. And I even saw one or two takes where, wow, did Patrick Mahomes weapons actually fail him in this game that beyond Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, he really didn't have that much. And that's pretty ridiculous because Travis Kelsey is the best receiving tight end in the NFL. Tyreek Hill is the best big play receiver in the NFL. And it's not like Sammy Watkins and McCole Hardman and all these other guys around him are, are bad players. I don't think that Patrick Mahomes played well in this game. And I don't think that that's like a takey thing to say. I don't think that it's unfair to Patrick Mahomes. Look at basically any advanced stat. Uh, and Patrick Mahomes was worse than Tom Brady in this game. Uh, the, the biggest one would be completion percentage over expected. Mahomes was negative 8.8. He, he completed 8.8% fewer passes than the statistics show that he should have. There was also one of his worst completion percentage over expected of his NFL career. He was only worse in three other games, uh, one game in 2019, two games in 2020, and then this game. It was also the lowest QBR of his entire career. He had a 26 QBR, and a lot of that has to do with his teammates and everything, but completion percentage over expected shouldn't, and it was one of his worst NFL games by that metric, and absolutely, the, the offensive line was terrible in this game, and Mahomes made some crazy plays that probably any other quarterback wouldn't have made the the play where he was basically hovering above the ground and somehow flicked the ball and hit Damian uh, Daryl uh, Daryl Williams off the oh, face boy. mask and he dropped it. There was another crazy play that was a drop by Travis Kelsey. Uh, there was one where he was getting chased. He did a spin move. He was on like the the left sideline and then flicked the ball into the left corner of the end zone, which was like almost catchable it fell incomplete and that's kind of the unfortunate thing is that all of these went incomplete all these crazy plays that he could have made so absolutely he did make some plays or he didn't make some plays but he almost made some plays that only Patrick Mahomes could have made but overall I wouldn't say that he played well and I do think that his teammates are part of that but I did not come out of that game saying yeah you know what Mahomes was better than Brady. And I think that the fact that there are people who are actually saying that and that the conversation is almost turned more towards Mahomes than Brady post-Super Bowl is a little bit ridiculous. I think it is ridiculous to say that Mahomes was better than Brady in this game. But I do think Mahomes was pretty good given what he had around him. I mean, I, you mentioned the, the, his weapons let him down. I think 
if the conversation was he was let down by the Chiefs not having enough weapons, I think that is a dumb argument. But I mean, Tyree Kill had a had a touchdown pass bounce off his face. Travis Kelsey had an easy first down on third down bounce off his hands. Demarcus Robinson dropped a touchdown. Daryl Williams dropped a touchdown. All the the Kelsey one was a a slightly above average throw, but the other three were just obscene athletic crazy plays that really only Patrick Mahomes could have even been in the neighborhood of potentially making. I mean, right before we came on uh, to record here, I saw a a clip from inside the NFL that is, I think airing tonight. (laughs) And it's just, it's just Chris Godwin and and Mike Evans on the sideline being like, how in the world is this guy making these throws? Like Chris Godwin called him a magician about 10 times. It's like, if you look on the other sideline and the players you're playing against are just in awe of what you're doing, I think that that says something about kind of the way that you are performing in this game. I know it, it does. the results he, weren't there. And still, I don't, he still had two interceptions. He had two interceptions. 53% of his passes only he had, had two a 64% adjusted completion percentage. When you take out the drops and the, the throwaways and there was one other one, a batted pass. It was not Patrick Mahomes' best game by any means. It was one of his if you're if you're looking on the average of Patrick yes. Mahomes, it was certainly well below average. But if I'm ranking the kind of causes for this oh, yeah. offensively scoring nine points, yeah. you go, I think you go offensive line, pass catchers, and then a pretty significant drop, and then Patrick Mahomes' performance in this game. I mean, it's there's going to be hyperbole in both directions with, with something like this. Like, was this a horrendous performance by Patrick Mahomes? No. Was this the, was he better than Tom Brady in this game? And it was actually one of the better, the Super Bowl performances. We just, it's going to be like that kind of hipster uh, comp or argument later. That's also not true. But I think people who are saying Patrick Mahomes had a like outwardly bad game, I think is untrue. I, I think my this opinion. is a situation where it's it's okay to be like, yeah, he was fine. Like, yeah. it, it's basically what you're saying. Like, he wasn't great. Like, I don't know why we're pretending based on like two crazy throws that he made that people dropped that he was incredible in this game because there was 47 other passes in the game. And I, he certainly was not the reason for the Chiefs to lose. And I don't think that this is a blemish on his legacy or anything like that. But I also do think it's okay to say that Eh, yeah, it wasn't his best game. Like, and, and maybe I also think I, also, was. I, I think too though, if you if take if say two of those passes ended up being completed, if if the the Daryl Williams play after he had the kind of matrix dive throw that hit Williams in the face, Williams catches that ball for a touchdown, and one of either Demarcus Robinson or Tyree Kill catch those passes for a touchdown. You, you would look at this and say, holy crap, this was a pretty remarkable performance by Patrick Mahomes to even make those plays. Obviously, those two plays would elevate his entire performance. But I think if you just have one or two plays, one or two mistakes from his teammates that went differently, then you could say this was a hell of a performance by Patrick Mahomes, even though he had the interceptions and even though he yeah, missed that, McCole Hartman in a couple throws. He still would have had a one-to-one touchdown interception ratio. And, True. I think it, and I think it's just like, okay to admit that. I, I feel like we've gotten to the point with Patrick Mahomes where like, 
if you're not saying how incredible he Sorry, is, I just spilled tea all over myself. That's what I thought would just happen. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like we are at the point now where like, if you're not like praising Patrick Mahomes and saying he's like the greatest thing in the world and that everything they does is incredible. Is that like, you're like this pariah in the NFL or something like that. Like, I don't know. I mean, the guy had two interceptions and they were both kind of tipped around, but they were also errant throws. Like he was also throwing into double or triple coverage on those throws. And I understand that the last one was more desperation, but I don't know. I, I just, I, I do think it's okay to, to say like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Cause I also think that he's getting credit for those passes, even though they were incomplete, like he's still getting credit for making those throws accurately. They just didn't show up in the stat line. I think that's valid to give him credit for. No, I agree. Yeah, I agree. But I don't think that that overshadows everything else that happened in the game. And the fact that he did only have a, one of his worst adjusted completion percentages of his, of his career, uh, one of his worst completion percentage over expected his absolute worst QBR. Uh, I don't know. It was. Yeah. I just don't think, yeah, I think it's gone too far. That's all I'm saying. Um, let's what, get one, one more, yeah. one more note on the quarterbacks overall. I'm excited for like 25 years down the line that Taylor Heineke is going to be a fantastic trivia question <laughs> answer. It's going to be like Tom Brady beat three former Super Bowl MVPs to win Super Bowl 55. <laughs> who was the fourth quarterback he beat in that playoff run? Be like, ah, oh, who's that, that Washington guy? Like he wasn't even the starter. I think he was like the fifth string actually played kind of well, but oh man, who is that guy? Taylor Heineke, famous forever. There you Definitely. go. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> it is. It, it's unfortunate that it wasn't even just like some like average starter in that game because, <laughs> like, obviously it's incredibly impressive that he beat Breeze, Rogers, and Mahomes. But you have to kind of be like, yeah, he beat Heineke, Breeze, Mahomes, and Rod. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. You didn't even have like a Kirk Cousins in there or something right. like that. It's- yeah, exactly. <laughs> Heineke, someone that you have to use two for, uh, two names for. Uh, all right, let's um, let's get into this week's Nesson Four Downs. You tweet your questions to Zach at Zach Cox Nesson. We answer them. Zach, what do we have on the docket today? All right, we will start with one that kind of covers a, a topic that was very prevalent last week and is still kind of prevalent after this game. This comes from Andre, uh, not our producer, Andre, different Andre. <laughs> Uh, what's the deal with Brady versus Belichick? Can't we just appreciate them both for what they've done for 20 years? Doug, what is the deal? I, 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 I think I said this in my mailbag last week, but this was like an interesting conversation once. Like, oh yeah, that is like kind of interesting. I wonder who was like the, the bigger uh, you know reason for all of the Patriots success. But the fact that it's now been going on for like 10 years and it's really been overblown lately. I do think that you can, I think that there's like, there's probably an answer to the question. Like there's no way that you can just like completely split it down the middle. I do think that you do have to take a side on that. Or like, I guess you don't have to, but like, I think it's disingenuous to say that it was both of them completely equally, completely evenly, because I just don't think that that's fair to say. Um, but no, I, I think that if fans want to just appreciate both of them, and I, I don't think that it's necessarily has to be a question. I don't think it has to be answered. I don't think it has to be debated. Um, but yeah, like I said, it was like an interesting question once that's just dovetailed way, way too far. Yeah. I think part of what makes it such a difficult question to answer is just that 
the run in New England lasted so long. Right. And in those early years, you it wasn't even kind of a possible or answer to say that Brady was more important to the 2001 team than than Bill Belichick was, who kind of built that team. Right. I don't know. I I, I definitely. I'm in the uh, defense sitting uh, group where, <laughs> yeah, it was both of them. I don't know who, I mean, the, the, the Brady win without Belichick definitely is a, a mark in, in his category, but I, I don't think that it does a ton to sort of relitigate the, the history that they had in new England together. Uh, I, I, I do think, think it's I interesting would... though, that every time. Oh, I was just going to no, say, I'm, uh, probably, all you. I'm probably on the Brady camp. Yeah, I do think it's interesting that every time Brady is actually given a like a firm, real, non-dodgy answer to it, he's come out pretty strongly and say that it's like almost a disrespectful argument to have. Right. Uh, he said that to Howard Stern last year, and then he said it to Jim Gray on the pregame show of the Super Bowl. Uh, he said, the only thing that debate does is it tries to create division either inside your team or on the outside who wants to tear apart what you've accomplished. So he's basically come out and, and said multiple times, he's like, it was both of us. Like people need to stop taking one side or the other, but that's what we do in the, uh, yeah. in, in sports media. And as sports fans, people like to uh, take sides of debates and that's going to be happening for a very long time. Uh, shifting gears away from the Super Bowl, We got a couple of, uh, of Patriots free agent type questions. Um, this is from Tom brothers. He wants to know Rex Burkhead or Marcus Cannon, will they both be back uh, next season? Uh, Rex Burkhead is a going to be a free agent. He's also coming off that season-ending knee injury, not really sure when he will be ready to go and get back on the field. Marcus Cannon, uh, under contract for last year, opted out, uh, under contract for next year, rather, opted out of this past season uh, due to COVID-19 concerns. Uh, according to Devin McCourty last week, all Patriots opt-outs are expected to return um, once the team reconvenes later this spring. Um, but I do think that it is a question of whether Cannon will actually be on the Patriots once the uh, 2021 season begins, uh, given his contract situation and the way his play kind of declined in 2019. Doug, what's your read on, uh, on those two? Yeah, I certainly won't say it's a guarantee that either one of them will be back uh, with Burkhead being a free agent. Anything could happen there. I would say that he would probably be back on some sort of veteran minimum contract. I'm not sure when he would actually be ready to play since that uh, knee injury happened pretty late in the season. And then with Cannon, yeah, I mean, he opted out. Uh, who knows? Uh, he's getting up there in age anyway. Wasn't fantastic during the 2019 season. But as far as a starting right tackle of his caliber and his history goes, eight million, whatever his contract is for 2021, really honestly, not that high. He's already on the books. So I kind of feel like if he wants to play, which I haven't heard anything to the contrary on that personally, see how he looks in training camp, see how he looks in preseason, then move on from there and decide whether you want to keep him or, or lose him by roster cuts. I, I don't think that this is necessarily a decision that you have to make unless you're desperately trying to sign like 10 free agents in the off season or something like that. I think that, you know, a right tackle on his contract without a obvious replacement behind him. I thought that Justin Huron was pretty good as a rookie, but I think that you'd probably at least want to see what he looks like in 
July or August before just giving him that right tackle job, uh, I would definitely give Cannon a shot, but I don't think it's a guarantee that either one of them will be on the roster on whatever it would be, September 10th or whatever week one of the season would be. Yeah, and salary cap space should not be uh, a major issue for the Patriots this offseason issue, because no. they have right around $60 million, most likely depending on what the uh, final Probably salary cap more, yeah. total comes in, fourth most of any team in the NFL. Uh, Lassane Crooks has a free agency type question. He wants to know what's the play at wide receiver in free agency. Obviously Patriots receiving core probably if not the weakest, at least in the bottom three or four in the NFL last season, definitely a group that really needs a infusion of talent. And fortunately for the Patriots, there are going to be a lot of available wide receivers and free agency, but Doug of that group, who are our two or three guys that, that you could see the Patriots going after? I want to turn this conversation um, on one particular player, and that's Curtis Samuel, who seems to be mentioned the most often with the Patriots. Is Curtis Samuel enough? He played 63% of the Panthers' snaps last season. He was their number three wide receiver. He's an interesting player and in that he's got versatility. He can carry the ball out of the backfield. He can play the slot. I think he can play outside. He can do a number of different things. But in all reality, he's like an extremely rich man's Cordero Patterson more than he's the number one wide receiver that the Patriots actually need this offseason. I don't know if Curtis Samuel is good enough to flip this wide receiver core into even being average next season if you're talking about Jacoby Myers Julian Edelman at 35 years old Nikhil Harry guys like Marquise Lee or whatever and then Curtis Samuel Curtis Samuel would basically have to be the number one in that group but is he even good enough to be that number one I know he's still young I know he's still got potential he had his best season last year but I would much prefer even spending twice as much or whatever it would cost to get the Chris Godwin, to get the Allen Robinson, to get the, the Kenny Galladay, the guys who have actually already proven that they're number one wide receivers rather than taking the slight bargain but still buying high on the guy who's never proven that he can play more than 60% of NFL snaps. Yeah, I've always viewed Curtis Samuel as kind of a Samuel and type player. Like, I don't think he – I don't think he can be there – big free agent bounty at wide receiver and say, all right, we're going to get Curtis Samuel, uh, maybe sign uh, some, somebody else for like a million bucks and, and get a couple undrafted free agents. And then, then we're good to go. Uh, he's, he's a second tier or maybe even third tier, depending on he's how gonna you tier those. Though. He's going to be I know, like that's, $10 million. That's going to be the thing. I'm, I'm interested to see how this whole um, receiver market shakes out just because there are a lot of, of talented wideouts, and there also are a lot of teams that aren't, aren't going to have a lot of money to play around with this offseason. So I'm interested to see where his value stacks up if you consider, if you say that he's behind Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin, Juju Smith-Schuster, Corey Davis, Will Fuller, uh, Kenny Galladay, you probably put him ahead of Marvin Jones and, and maybe Corey Davis, but those guys are all kind of in that same tier. That's a lot of wideouts that have to get paid this offseason and fewer teams than usual that'll be kind of able to give out those big contracts so but I agree I, I don't think that that Curtis Samuel Samuel can be the the unquestioned number one 
uh, in New England. I think, I mean, maybe if someone like Corey Davis comes in, he can be the number one here in New England. I don't think that's a, a he's lock. Got a better by chance. Any, I don't think it's a lock by any means either, but he was kind of, you view Corey Davis in Tennessee this season as, all right, well, he's not A.J. Brown, but on a lot of teams, he maybe could be that number one option. I, I don't know if, I mean, I didn't watch a ton of Panthers this year, but I didn't see a lot of people talking about Curtis Samuel as sort of a obvious number one receiver candidate. And I think that is something the Patriots really need this offseason because they can't go into next year with with Jacoby Myers as, as their number one option as much as we uh, both like Jacoby Myers' game. Um, so we will finish off with um, this one from Hunter Roberts. He says five most realistic, ideal free agents. Uh, we don't have to get that granular, but just any, any non wide out free agents that as the Patriots begin this free agency process uh, that you kind of have on your radar. Uh, that's tough. I, I would actually throw out a couple other lower tier wide receivers in that group as well. Josh Reynolds, um, Alex Erickson as well, just guys that kind of fit that typical Patriots mold. I think that uh, it's, it's a tough debate at tight end, whether they should or shouldn't spend massively at that position, because I wrote something before the Super Bowl that you can usually expect a pretty massive year two jump out of a tight end. The Patriots have two candidates in that group and Dalton Keene and Devin Aussie Aussie. So uh, there are guys out there like Gerald Everett, Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith. I think that I might not spend massively say for Hunter Henry. I might take one of those second tier options like Johnny Smith or Gerald Everett uh, to add to that group. Maybe not, you know, spend $12 million or whatever it would take to get our Hunter, Hunter Henry and maybe get someone a little bit lower down uh, beyond that. It's just tough. I mean, the Patriots like such specific linebackers that that's always kind of a, a tough position to, pro to project for who they would even be interested in in that group. But there are a few interior defensive linemen. That's a position the Patriots definitely need um, uh, out there this year. Uh, we've got um, who's the giant Delvin Tomlinson, I think oh, would yeah, be Tomlinson. a good fit in there. Um, yeah. Uh, what who were who some guys that you were kind of thinking of? You mentioned linebackers. That's a position that I can see the Patriots potentially just looking at what they had this season and saying, even if we get Dante Hightower back, we still need somebody in there. Uh, I could, it, it'll be interesting to see if they, they make a play for someone like Levante David, who's been really good for a really long time Is in, in Tampa a player though. Levante David. I, I don't like know, but 20 pounds. I know. And, but also eventually the Patriots might have to go away from their, yeah. their Jawan Bentley type linebackers right. just in the modern NFL. And, and we've been waiting for 10 years. <laughs> I know, I know it's, but I think with they when they saw the, the way that that group performed at a lot of times this season, I mean, maybe Matt Milano from the, from Buffalo is another option. I, I know he's um, he might not be exactly the, the body type that, that they look for at that position. Um, but I think Trent yeah, I think would those, be a candidate. What's that? Trent Murphy, I think, would be a possibility Murphy, yeah. in there as well. I know he's more of an edge defender, but I know that they were interested in him. What was it like two or three years ago, or something like no. that? So, that's potential. Yeah, I yeah. certainly don't see them. I know they have a lot of money to to play with, but I don't see them making that huge splash for some of those big time for a a Shaq Barrett or a Yannick Ngakwe or some of those really really big money right. edge defenders. No. Uh, I I think I think you're probably um, 
they're they're more likely to to go with maybe some of the cheaper veterans uh, yeah. on in that at that position, and then add them to to what they have in in guys like Winovich and, and Josh Uche. But there are a lot of holes in this Patriots front seven that need to be filled, and Dante Hightower coming back would certainly help that group. But this is definitely a uh, a, a couple of position groups that they that really need some infusions of, of talent this offseason for sure yeah I mean they, they spent big in the past on guys like Roosevelt Colvin and Adel- Adelius Thomas it just hasn't happened in a while right I'm not like missing someone crazy that they've that they've signed since those guys at that position it's all been they drafted Mayo drafted Collins drafted Hightower drafted Bentley traded for Van Noy uh, yeah, I think that maybe they're due for that kind of top dollar linebacker type player, but I don't know. I, I do, I do see um, Levante David thrown out there pretty often, but the age, the money, the the size, it's certainly possible it could happen, but but we'll have to see on that. And that, uh, I believe that is, uh, that's all we got for four downs questions today. Thank you guys again for, uh, for all your questions uh, as is the case every week. Absolutely. Send those to Zach at Zach Cox Nesson. Um, I think that will do it for this week's show. Thank you guys for joining us all season. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for all the questions all year as well. Uh, and we will get right into off season content as well. We've said it before. This is really um, one of the most important off seasons in Patriots history. And it will be fascinating to see what they do first at quarterback uh, before we go has anything that's happened with the quarterback situation over the last week changed your mind about what is and isn't possible? I think a couple other names have hit the hit the market. Derek Carr maybe on the trade block. Carson Wentz on the trade block. Russell Wilson now possibly unhappy with the Seahawks. Uh, anything changed your mind there? Not really. I mean, we we went pretty deep into the uh, the Stafford fallout last week, and yeah. I think the Derek Carr stuff had had gone public by that point. I don't exactly recall, but no, nothing, nothing has really uh, altered anything in these last couple of days. I I think Russell Wilson is probably not going to uh, be moved. I think, I think some quarterbacks are kind of realizing the power that they have though uh, in a situation like Russell Wilson, where he can say, Hey man, I'm the franchise quarterback. You guys need to to start doing more to, to put pieces around me and, and protect me better. So I think that's more of a, more of that type of situation. Same with, with Aaron Rodgers. I would be surprised if either of those guys got moved, but I mean, the fact that we're in February now and pretty much half of the quarterbacks in the NFL, if not more have been at least rumored as potentially wanting to go somewhere else or hitting free agency or being trade pieces it's going to be a wild off season. And obviously the Patriots who very much need a quarterback are going to be right in the thick of that. It is. It's I'm, I'm eager to like see them actually make the move because I'm getting kind of sick of the, Oh, what about this guy for the Patriots? What about that guy? And everyone has such, um, I don't know. Everyone has such hot takes or opinions about all of these quarterbacks when ultimately they're all like the exact same guy, like the difference ultimately between Derek Carr and Carson Wentz is like one or two spots in the quarterback rankings. But if you say you like one guy or the other guy, then like 15 people are going to call you a moron. So I just want to see them do something in that position so that we know who that quarterback will be for the 2021 season. Uh, But I do think that we'll probably have to wait 
at least a few more weeks for that. So keep it on Nesson.com for all of your Patriots coverage. Follow Zach on Twitter at Zach Cox Nesson. Follow me on Twitter at Doug Kide. And we will be back with you guys again this offseason to break down everything that's going on with the Patriots. All right, you want to knock out a uh, tease? Yes. All right. Um, three, two, one. On this week's Nesson Patriots podcast, we will um, – hold on. Three, two, one.